Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. As we remember what he did, just look at him. Because we're just painting a picture for you to see him. Amen. Because, you know, you, you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you. And if you don't, just go ahead and make the decision that you believe on the Lord Jesus right now. And you're sealed with that Spirit. All the other stuff that people have made Christianity about, of course we're created unto good works. But we're not talking about that stuff today. We're talking about what He's done. So, you know, I think about what He, what he actually did. And he, you know, God created this place to live with us. He didn't create us even necessarily to serve him or to learn about him. I mean, think about that for a minute. We've made Christianity about gaining knowledge. We've made it about what do I not know that I need to know so that I can be complete. No. I think these brains were only given to us so that we could process what he's speaking to us from our spirits through our hearts. You know, when we live up here, man, we complicate it. <laughs> then we make it about knowledge, right? Then we, we partake of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we run around, we're trying to figure out what's right, what's wrong, who's right, who's wrong, and have all these denominational boundaries. And it's like, my God, can we just please talk about Jesus? That's my prayer. Father, I thank you that this morning, all across this planet... As we celebrate resurrection, that the denominational lines melt away. Those denominational chains are broken. Even the ones that we have in this place, Father, we give you everything about what we do here. So that Jesus, you would be glorified, you would be lifted up, and people would know about your cross. Amen. For you visitors, that's what we... We pretty much just preach the same message every week. <laughs> We talk about the cross, but there's like 897 different ways to talk about it. So He literally emptied himself, became a human so that he could walk this earth, become a perfect sacrifice, offer himself to bear all of the sin of the world. And people are starting to get that now, I think, you know. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. That means that God is no longer holding people's sins against them. That's what we've been told to do. You are ambassadors carrying the ministry of reconciliation. Go into the world and tell people God's no longer holding their sins against them. Does that mean everybody's already saved? No. Does that mean you don't have to repent? No. Does that mean it's okay to sin? No. I don't know where people come up with that goofiness, but it happens. But what it does is it puts mankind in front of the Father with the veil of sin gone, with the veil of the law removed because Jesus fulfilled the law, and we're standing there completely vulnerable before Him, forgiven, able to receive His Spirit. And what's, once we do, what he does is his spirit literally inhabits us. 
and it cleanses us, and it sanctifies us perfectly once forever. And then, just like that ark, God seals up His Spirit within us to make our salvation sure. And then all we do from there is we walk out renewing our mind, going telling people, hey, you know what? God's not mad at you. All that stuff you've been told, just forget about that. Your God loves you. He's the only one that reached out into this earth toward us. Every other God on the planet you have to live toward. Mm-hmm. Sounds a little demonic. <laughs> you can't live up to it. The law was given for one reason, a couple of reasons. A big one was that to show you, you can't make it on your own. You can't measure up on your own. The law was given to increase sin in the earth, to increase your realization that, oh, yeah, I need God. I need a Savior. I need my King that is dwelling within the eternal heavenly dimension to come here and rescue me. And here's the part that I think that we miss. And I've got a couple of scriptures, but... Just open your hearts for just a second, because before Christ, we lived in a carnal, and I don't mean carnal as evil, I just mean physical, effort, flesh-based system of doing sacrifices and rituals and things to try to be acceptable to God, you know. You had to take yourself through the process of sanctification by bringing the right kind of sacrifice. If you lied, you had to bring a particular kind of bird and have that thing offered and the blood sprinkled for you, and that was your atonement for that lie. Now think about if you had to go sacrifice an animal for every time you told a lie. I mean, I'm not going to look at anybody individually. And one time a year, your sin could be removed. That was Yom Kippur. That was the Day of Atonement. That was the day there were two goats, one for the priest and one to be sent out into the wilderness. And all of that is nothing but type and shadow for Jesus, for the real thing. But what was shown to us physically, He did spiritually. And we have to know now that the way we relate to God is not through this physical system is through this spiritual system. And Colossians tells us that he delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Mm -hmm. Right now, you are in the kingdom of God. You are in the kingdom of Jesus. It's not out there or over there. It's in you and you are connected to it. It's at hand. It's not a dimension that you've got to pop into and go get an ear and come back and then now I'm back over here. You guys never heard that one, right? (laughs) I don't mean to make fun of that, but that creates a sense of disconnection. What Jesus did was not take us from one place to another place. He changed the kind of creatures that we are. And that idea of being raised with Christ is not that we were picked up and rose up through the clouds and ascended with Him. It's that it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a statement of the kind of being that you are. It's a statement of the kind of authority that you have. Being raised with him doesn't mean he plucked you out of here and somehow you've got to figure out how 2,000 years ago did when he rose up out of the grave, I, did that mean I went back and rose with him? And did, does it happen? You know, have you ever tried to figure that out? Yeah. <laughs> we take it too literally sometimes, but what it means is that you have been create, recreated to be a different kind of being. So the point is, you had, we had this physical system that we would do rituals and sacrifices. 
He did that spiritually and changed the kind of beings that we are so that we now relate to God based on being spiritual. And spiritual just means being life-minded, being at peace with God, thinking toward the good things that he accomplished, not the mystical things that we make it about, like we can do spiritual things. Everything is spiritual. This thing of secular and spiritual separation, that's baloney. I know I'm running on several rabbit trails. But just like that sacrifice was brought to the high priest that one time a year, what he would do is he would take that goat in and he would go through this process of literally taking the sin of the whole nation of Israel, representative of the whole world when Jesus would do it, and he placed the entire sin of that nation onto the head of this goat impressed the sin, literally imparted the sin of the nation into that goat. And that process is called Gethsemane, the pressing. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, that's what was happening. You know, he said, I don't know about this, God. I think if there's any other way we can do this, let's try that. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will. The will of God was that on his way to the cross the sin of the entire world would be imparted into him. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. See, he so identified with us as humans. He so, so identified with our brokenness and our sinful state that he became that. Think about that for a minute. Have you ever met someone, somebody in your family, one of your great friends, and, 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 and whatever they're going through, you feel it, and your heart breaks for them. Maybe it's your child, and you're like, oh, what can I do? I wish I could take their place. That's what he did. He saw our sin. He saw our brokenness. He saw our place of separation and so wanted to do something about it that he did. He became that separation for you. See, he didn't just remove your sin off of you. He didn't just sprinkle some blood and say, okay, now you're okay. No, he exchanged every failure, every part of you that was separated from God and became it, and you took on his nature. That's the secret. That's the secret of the resurrection. And I'm going to read a couple of scriptures and look at that. But to me, the greatest test of Jesus' faith, you know, it's pretty difficult to walk sinless, right? I mean, we think, oh, man, how did he do that? How did he live for 33 years and not ever commit a sin? Well, that's pretty hard. But then going through that garden, making the decision to allow himself to get arrested, making the decision to let them take him and lay him down on that cross and stretch his arms out, and he literally let them nail him. Think about back in the garden when the soldiers showed up and they said, where is he? And he said, I am. And they fell down. See, he could have gotten off of that cross and been totally justified in doing so. He didn't have to pass into that grave and complete the work. And he would have been justified completely in going back to heaven and saying, ah, forget them, Lord, just me and you. 
I'm done. But he didn't. So on that cross, he becomes sin. The penalty for all of the sin of every person on the planet ever was dumped on him. And you can never be tried or punished for any of that because he took it. So he passes into the grave. And I was going to read some of the Psalms, but this is your homework for the week. I gave you homework last week. It was read Hebrews. Did you get some good stuff out of that? Your homework is this week. Go read Psalm 18 and realize, read Acts 2. Peter sets the precedent that David is prophesying the words of the suffering Messiah. That's what he says. He quotes one of the Psalms and he says, this is not David. This is, he's talking about the Messiah. So you get the understanding that a lot of these Psalms are prophetic Psalms of what the Messiah would have experienced. Read Psalm 18 this week and remember what David said and see it from the perspective of Jesus coming up out of that grave. And I'm telling you, it's powerful. But while he was in that grave, he literally went to Hades. Now, I'm not talking about the lake of fire after the final judgment, but he went to the abode of the dead, the abode of the wicked, and he was there having become your sin. The biggest test of what he experienced in his life, death, and resurrection was not believing the circumstances that were around him while he was dead. He had promises that forever you will be. I will raise you up with me. You will be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We talked a little bit about that last week. But Jesus died the death that every human should have separated from God. And when he's down there, he had to remain faithful. It actually says that he obtained righteousness by his faith so that he could go back up into the Father and bring it back for us. Remember when he came up out of the tomb and the girls were there and he said, don't touch me yet? That was a spiritual representation of a physical thing. When the priest would do the Yom Kippur Day of Atonement sacrifice, once he made that sacrifice, he would take that blood and he would say, don't touch me, I've not yet made the offering. And he, that priest would go into the heavenly holy of holies and sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat after having sacrificed for himself sacrifices for the people, takes that blood in and makes the sacrifice on that earthly mercy seat. Well, Jesus did the same thing. Now, let me just show you this. Let's flip over to Hebrews 9. I'm going to read several passages here for you and then we'll wrap up and take communion. I think it's wonderful to understand what he did in the garden. We have to know that the chastisement needful for us to gain peace was placed on him on that cross and when he passed through that grave, that he literally conquered death. See, when he was in that grave, he had to walk by his faith to trust God that he would be raised. It wasn't like he just had a party after death. I mean, it wasn't like he just died and was hanging out, all right, in three days, I'm out of here. I mean, for all practical purposes, it was eternity. He was outside of that realm of time in the grave. So when he came up out of that grave, he has his blood. And let's talk about this for a second. Hebrews 9, 11. But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is, you know, the, the, 
The tabernacle that Aaron presided over, that Moses, that God told Moses to build, was made with human hands. So there's this spiritual tabernacle in the heavenly holy of holies. That is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of blood and goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death? So that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is a mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Not that as he died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed, or now that he has died as a, as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. See, this is the context of the new covenant. The old covenant was upheld and maintained because they agreed to perform the rituals, perform the ceremonies, stick to the feast, do the right types of sacrifices. And the one time a year that sin was actually covered for them, the priest did all the work. It's the same idea, but the new covenant is a spiritual, eternal fulfillment of all of the temporary, physical things that we saw before. So now, even though we live in these bodies, even though we're walking in this earth... Even though we still sin, we still struggle, we still deal with all these things, we have been made spiritual creatures, recreated, and now relate to God based on this new covenant. And this new covenant sealed you eternally, spiritually. See, there's no mixing of the covenants where it's like we do these physical things and then that puts us in the spirit. You can't do spirit. You just have to realize I'm, I've been relocated into his kingdom. I'm a new type of person. The, the context of the relationship that I have with God has changed. So then we live from that place toward this earth. So Hebrews 9, 24, we'll skip down a little bit. For Christ not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now appear, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered in the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. See, we know these things, but I wonder if we take the time to really personalize it to the degree that we realize my relationship with God is based on one thing, this. What Jesus did with his blood. And he went in and he offered himself as a sacrifice, carried his blood, and then this is what he did. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. It says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And it says, if you continue, that could very well be translated, therefore continue. The context is spiritual relationship, so basically just keep believing. 
If you continue in faith, grounded and settled, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. Wherefore, I, Paul, am made a minister. Back to Hebrews chapter 4. Now, get the picture here. The old covenant priest would make the sacrifice. The presence of God would come down and dwell in that place after he had sprinkled the blood to receive the offering. And then they would declare, your sins, nation of Israel, are removed, are remitted from you for the next year. Jesus went into that heavenly holy of holies where the Spirit of God literally dwells with His own blood. And it says in Colossians that He presented you holy and unblameable. So here's literally what He did. I say literally, but I mean this is... <laughs> this. You fit yourself into this picture. He goes in after being raised with His own blood to say, this is the forgiveness for the world. And He takes you and He presents you to the Father. And He says, look what I've done. I've made them holy. I've made them unblameable. I've made them unreprovable. That means you are unpunishable. You are sanctified because He passed into that heavenly holy of holies with His own blood and if you will put yourself in His hands, you are sealed in that blood. You have to know that that's where you stand with God. You have to know that that is the context of the new covenant. The new covenant is not about the doctrine of grace. It's not about one idea. You know, it's, it, it is freedom. It is a promise from the Father to the Son that we are engrafted into as we believe in what He's done. But here's your life. Jesus stands with you in His arms before the Father and says, I've made them perfect. I've made them holy. So that then Hebrews 4.14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. You know, before he carried you in before the Father, he became just like you so that he would know what you've gone through, what you're going through. There's not one thing that you're experiencing that he didn't face on this planet. It says that he was tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. So he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he didn't sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Let's go ahead and start passing out the communion cups. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. See, you, you don't have to, and just take one of these cups and we're all going to take communion together. But you don't have to, let me say this, you don't have to live a lifestyle of repentance to continue to be acceptable before God. Now, am I saying you don't have to repent? No, I'm not saying that. 
but your righteousness is wrapped up in the offering of the blood of Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? I distracted you with the cups. <laughs> Say it one more time. Give it just one second. There's a thing going... Go ahead. Go ahead and pass those out. Yep. Yep. There's a thing going around right now that people that teach this way, that kind of focus a lot on grace or focus on the cross, are saying that you don't have to repent. Well, put it in the right context of what repentance really means. And repentance means to change your mind. It does mean turn from sin. But do you know why you can turn from sin? Because your mind is different. Grace. Just like we read in Hebrews 4, we go boldly before the throne of God to find grace and mercy and help when we need it. Here's what we do. We mess up. We run away from God. We stay away from God until we feel like we can go back to Him. And somehow that makes sense in our own minds and hearts. When really there's no separation anyway, then when we go back to him, we're dragging this bag of sin up to him, right? It's like, okay, God, I know I did that, but don't you remember Jesus? As if you have to reconvince God by your repentance that he forgave you. It's a little silly, right? Yes, we should live a repentant lifestyle. Yes, we need to confess our sins to the Lord and be cleansed of our unrighteousness. But that's different from how you dwell, what kind of being you are in your spirit. The unrighteousness that needs to be purged and cleansed from you is then the way that you think, in the way that you see this world, in the way that you see God. Being cleansed from unrighteousness is more of letting Him continue to transform you so that your outward body, mind, soul, and your life looks just like what He's done. So when you go before the Father, go in the middle of your sin. I'm not saying sin's okay, but when you snap to your senses, realize, oh my goodness, that's really dumb. Why am I doing that? I can go to the Father because I am washed by the blood already, and He's not holding it against me. I can literally come boldly into that throne of grace and he has more than enough for me. You remember when Paul said three times I prayed and I asked God to take this thorn away from me and God said my grace is sufficient for you? And we think that that's God saying, no, I've got this thing that you need to go through and you're going to learn it. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is Paul... There's something in you that's greater than that thing outside of you that is causing affliction in your life. And if you will walk by grace, that thing will either drop off or fall away or you won't even see it anymore. See, what grace is, is the indwelling presence of God being active in your life. It's a divine influence on your heart. It's that wellspring of life welling up to eternal life. That's the process of what grace is. It's this power that reminds you who you are in God. It reminds you of what He's done. It convinces your heart that you're perfect and holy before Him. So that's why it's important to know what this new covenant is, is that it is a spiritual promise 
between the Father and the Son that you are invited into and sealed into with the blood of Christ. Amen? Amen. So we're going to take these. I need, I need one of those, please. Are there any more? Yes, sir. Ooh, I got a sir. <laughs> yes, pastor. <laughs> so worship band, you guys come on up. It says that when he was on that cross, that the chastisement needful for us to gain peace was on him. It says that he bore our sicknesses. So just go ahead and this the way these are nifty little things here. You just peel off the top plastic thing. We usually do it differently, but for time's sake we're going to do these together. This is a representation of the body of Christ. <clears throat> just put your heart back in that worshipful moment for a minute. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your obedience. We thank you that you chose those nails for us. We thank you that you chose that cross for us. And that literally by your stripes, by your bruising, we are healed. Your flesh was broken so that we could have peace with God. Your flesh is the veil through which we pass through into the presence of God. Now just think about that exchange for a minute. Just like there was that spiritual exchange, there was a physical exchange. So whatever physical issue you're dealing with right now, just see it exchanged on the cross. My sickness. Jesus, thank you that you bore my sin. You became poor so that we might be made rich. You became cursed so that we could be blessed. That literally you took the full brunt of the curse of the law in your body. It was removed from me and placed on you. And we celebrate that. We remember that. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for those nails. Thank you for becoming our sin. You can take the bread. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So just see that three-day encounter experience. You know, our faith is not based on a book. Our faith is not based on our experiences, our knowledge. It's based on this event, Jesus on that cross, passing into that grave. Just think about that. Meditate on that for a minute. Personalize that, that while he was in that grave, he remained faithful. And now we literally live by His faith. We live by the faith of the Son of God who gave Himself for us. And He conquered every enemy of God. He stripped the enemy of all His power. 
He rendered him totally powerless. Totally destroyed his kingdom. Tore down everything that he had built. And when he came out of that grave, he took the keys of death. Jesus' faith is stronger than death. Whatever death you're facing, whatever form that looks like, the faith of Jesus in you is stronger because he's already conquered it. There's not one demon that has ever any right to come into your life. Because of this blood, because of this victory, they've totally been made powerless. And if you choose to believe their lies, that's your own fault. Don't believe the lie. Believe the blood of Jesus. Just speak to the devil for a minute. You have no right in my life. You have been totally stripped of authority and power by the blood of Jesus. Now see Jesus coming up out of that grave. <laughs> he says, look what I've done. become infused with his blood. Just confess that to him. You are my righteousness. Your blood is my redemption. Whatever you would say to him, just speak to him about what he's done. I thank you. I thank you for what you've done. This is my acceptance before the Father. This is my peace forever and eternally before God. I am sealed with a promise that is upheld by your sacrifice, by your blood. I belong in heaven. I belong with my Father. I am His child. Thank you, Jesus, for passing into that heavenly holy of holies and offering your blood and obtaining eternal redemption and then giving it through your spirit into this earth for all who will believe. And we are committed to go into this earth as your ambassadors, telling people about this good work, walking in your power and all the gifts that you've equipped us with to communicate your love, what you've accomplished through your blood. This is what we do. We then take this blood. We show people, look, look what he's done. And we take this as a reminder of what you've done, Lord. 